How many in here love fruit? Love fruit. Good, I'm glad. How many of you pray for fruit? Anybody pray for fruit? That is, well, no, you just go get your bananas at Walmart or whatever. I, I want to talk this morning about uh, the need to pray for fruit. Now, you, you, I'm not talking about the fruit you eat. I'm talking about the fruit of the Spirit now. I'm thinking about that because, I, you, you know, when you become a believer, when you are baptized into Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you, dwells in your inner person, and starts doing some work on you in the name of God, right? He's transforming your mind, and he's producing that fruit of the Spirit that we read about in Galatians chapter 5. There are nine amazing fruit that the Spirit is that's listed there, but I don't think that's exhaustive at all. But I, I think about love and joy and peace, and I could use more of all of that. Who couldn't in the world and the times we're living in? And, and then patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. There's one I need to learn. Gentleness and self-control. Self-control is a huge deal in the Christian life. But there are others, and I, I want to encourage you to pray about that, that while the Spirit is living in you, and if He's living in you, He is producing that fruit. You don't have to, you don't have to work at it like, here's a command, you need to be more loving. You need to let the Spirit produce that fruit in you. You just need to nurture cultivate the spirits producing but that's not exhaustive there are other ones i add to the scriptures right i add to my prayers more fruit like this wisdom anybody use more wisdom or discernment just raise your hand if you could use a little bit if you don't need any more wisdom just don't hold your hand up how many could use a little more wisdom yeah we need to be praying for that fruit of the spirit what about stuff like boldness in the book of acts they don't pray for safety like we pray for safety, they pray for boldness and courage. Anybody use some more contentment? The ability just, I can just be content in whatever circumstance I am. It is a learned thing, but it's a learned thing by a spirit-filled people. But in this passage, in this book we've been reading, 2 Timothy, which is very, very timely for us, here is a fruit we need to be praying to produce. It's called endurance. And I'm going to give you a, defini a couple definitions, and, and, and I'll put a face with it, okay? The ability to withstand hardship or adversity. You go through things, and these things make you really dig in there and, and, and stay at something when, when, when it'd be easy to quit, right? This is Louis Zamperini, who, who, who's of the famous book called and movie called Unbroken. This guy is amazing in that he was an Olympic runner back in the 30s. His roommate was Jesse Owens. Isn't that amazing? I mean, anyway, so he was, he was an Olympic long-distance runner. So that in itself shows you this guy's an endurance runner. But, oh, that was just a parable that was going to be about his life. He goes into the military, and he's a pilot. He's shot down over the ocean, 45 days out in the open sea nearly starved to death, but he's found by the Japanese. That's not a good thing. And this guy called the bird is the one who torments him for a couple of years in four different prisoner of war camps. And he's like just thin to nothing. And he's got PTSD and it's terrible. And he comes home. And over time he meets Billy Graham and he learns a little bit about the gospel and he learns a little bit about the idea that he needs to be a forgiving person and he becomes an evangelist of forgiveness across our country. 
and he's forgotten a little bit, and then his movie comes out, in a, his story comes out in a book and a movie, and it's amazing. This guy has the endurance to be able to withstand hardship nights and days out in the open sea. That's a dramatic example. Here's another one. I want to be faithful to ladies, too. The ability to sustain a prolonged, stressful effort. You just need to hold this on. You need to hold on to it. Even if you don't have active opposites, just to hold on to what you need to do. Here's this lady right here. Her name is Julianne Kopke, I believe is her name. She, when she was, she was a, a graduating in high school, she was 16, 17 years old, she is in an airplane that's struck by lightning, and she plunges three miles to the earth, still seat-belted to her seat. And because of others in her row that were around her, it formed kind of like a parachute, and she lands in the jungle, and she survives with a broken bone and some, some wounds. There are others who survive the fall, but no others survive the next 10 days in the jungle where she's got maggots in all her wounds. She finally is able to walk her way to the next camp. And nobody's there at the time. She comes and she does first aid on herself and she pours gasoline on herself to drive the maggots out of her body. And then she collapses. People come finally, come back to their village and they discover her and she's able to be uh, taken to get some help. That's what you call endurance. But you know, those are dramatic examples that hopefully you'll never have to be tested in. But we've got people in this church that are examples of endurance. We've got people taking care of older parents, and it's a prolonged challenge. It's a prolonged challenge. We've got people taking care of loved ones who have memory loss. Prolonged challenge. We've got just being a parent of kids, small kids, especially if you have more than one. That's a challenge, and that's an enduring race. Going to work day in, day out, year in, year out, that's called endurance. And these people, whether these stories or our regular ones, the question is how in the world do you muster what it takes to have that kind of endurance? But I'm particularly wanting a spiritual kind. That's what we're up here on the hill this morning to talk about. When you commit to honoring God's truth, which is narrow, when you're, committing God, when you're committed to honoring God's truth and God's way of life, and you have to, for the sake of that truth and for the sake of that life, to endure hardship and adversity, whether it be a physical kind or a mental kind or an emotional kind, that's called endurance. And when you have to do God's way, do God's truth and God's way of life, and it requires a prolonged, stressful effort. You have to keep at it because you don't get vacation days from it. You don't get breaks from it. It's what you to always do. That's endurance. How in the world do we muster that kind of endurance for a faith that's so narrow and somewhat exclusive in our world and opposed by so many? How do you do that? I'm glad you're asking. I'm asking the same thing. And I guess the person to ask, a really good one, is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to Timothy, and he's wanting Timothy to, to model this endurance. He thinks Timothy's greatest need at this moment in his life and in his ministry is the spiritual gift of endurance. And he's going to give him some good help. And, Timothy, and Paul is a perfect mentor for someone who needs endurance. And here's, 
Here's some thoughts he wants to give. I want you to see verse 8 of Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. I want you to, first of all, I want you to remember Jesus, the centerpiece of everything you believe. On the front of these two tables that we just kind of symbolically gathered around, there's words. Do this in remembrance. Why does he want us to remember? There's a lot of reasons why he wants us to remember, but Paul is saying, I want you to remember the risen from the dead Jesus. Why does he want us to remember the risen from the dead Jesus? Because while he's risen, he was once dead. He's the only person you can describe this way. He was dead, but now he's risen. We serve a risen Lord. Is that right, church? We serve a risen Lord. He's risen because he was buried. He was dead, and that death was awful. It was an example of humiliation and shame and betrayal and mockery and terrible physical suffering. That's the creator entered the story of a creation he made and allowed that creation to do all of that to him, and he was dead. But he is now alive because God raised him from the dead. That's the Jesus you need to remember. Why? Why are we supposed to remember him? Well, because that's the only hope we got. That's the only chance you have of being right with God is through what Jesus did. I want you to remember that. But he also wants us to remember this because suffering is the centerpiece of the gospel. It was in the gospel story, and it's also in gospel obedience. There's going to be suffering, and you will never, you will never follow Jesus long without facing suffering, but that's the centerpiece of our story. And suffering has a purpose. Jesus suffered in order to provide us the forgiveness and atonement we needed to be made right with God again. And there's not a one of us good enough to have done this on our own. We are all desperately in trouble, and we can't fix it ourselves, and we need Jesus. But we don't just need Jesus. We need a dead Jesus. We need a Jesus who suffered. We need a Jesus who, who excruciating pain, died on a cross. We need him to do that. And he did. And he said, follow me, right? Your suffering has a purpose. I think that's one of the things from Jesus. Here's the other thing is that suffering is not the last word. It's not the end of the story because after he suffered, he was rewarded by being raised. Now let me ask you a question that sounds terrible. And, it sound, and I hate to even say it this way, but this is how kind of Paul, how many of you are glad and thrilled Jesus suffered? You're confused, aren't you? I see five hands going up. And everybody's like, I don't like the fact that he suffered. I didn't ask if you liked the fact that he had to suffer. My question is, are you thrilled, grateful, and celebrating today because Jesus suffered? You better be. It's your only chance. Paul has this weird way of talking about, he says, I don't boast in anything I've got. I don't boast in anything I've done, but I boast in a cross. 
And that in the first century was audaciously ridiculous. It was a stumbling block. You mean you serve a God? You're, you know you've got Zeus and all them firing lightning and stuff all around the world, and they're all powerful, and they're doing all their crazy stuff, and your God came into this story and let the creation kill him? Y'all are crazy. And I know it's weird. Jesus, Paul says, I boast in a God who suffered and died. And so we sing, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. That's weird. We hang crosses around our necks. That in our, in our culture, it would be like hanging a syringe around our neck. That's what we do, you know, when we shoot somebody death, on death row and they get put, the, the stuff gets put in. We'd hang a syringe around our neck. We'd, everybody like, that's just gross. That's just weird. I know, but that's the symbol of what Jesus, the links God was willing to go. And he suffered. We, we serve a Savior who, in order to do the will of God, had to suffer. And because he loved us and because he loved his Father, he was willing to do that. And that's a centerpiece. Now, this is something that's just so weird for us to celebrate suffering. It just seems weird, but when we gather around the table, what we must know is suffering is the center of the gospel, but it's also an expected thing that you will do when you follow that Savior. We know this week we could suffer. We might suffer mockery or belittlement or persecution or whatever. We might suffer a little bit for it. And that shouldn't be a foreign thought to us. It's the center of the gospel. But it's still weird to me. There's this song. Let me just... You, you, some of you old-timers, I don't, we don't ever sing it here. And I, I have a hard time singing this song. Because it's not the words that are wrong. The words aren't wrong. The words are great. But the tune betrays something weird about the song. It's called He Bore It All. Does anybody remember this song? Law is strung, strong bass front. It feels like clog dancing song or maybe a country line dance, right? My precious Savior suffered pain and agony. He bore it all. And it just, it's like, that just sounds like a country and western song. And I'm just like, that, I, I get what you're saying here, but the, what you're talking about is holy. It's not a, a yeehaw thing, right? It's not that. On the other hand, and this is where i got to be challenged, Paul talks about boasting in this event, I celebrate, I rejoice in it because this is what he was willing to do for me. And by remembering Jesus, we're remembering our job description. And so the first thing Paul says, I want you to remember Jesus. And when you remember Jesus, in those moments when you might be prone to being made to suffer for the faith, it just won't be too outlandish a thing to expect. It's not too much to have to endure a little bit for a Savior who endured a lot. He goes on to say, I want you to remember Paul. Now, for those of you who are here uh, right now, and even if most people listening would be, you are Gentiles. You are people who aren't Jews. And uh, our Gentile rescuer, I mean, the gospel saves all on the same basis, right? 
But the, gospel, the, the Gentiles were allowed in a little later, and it was because of Paul that this controversial move was made that allowed that gospel to freely go to Gentiles in a way that allowed us to celebratively receive it. Paul is our hero. We love them all. We love all the apostles, but listen, Paul's our favorite. You're going to say, no, Peter is. No, no, Paul is your favorite. Paul is the one you need. Paul is the one that made it possible for us to move into this kingdom in such a powerful way through, of course, the gospel. And notice what he says. After he talks about remember Jesus Christ, he says, in my gospel, for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. He's actually charged as an offender of the state. We have a view of criminals that's pretty low. When we see somebody who's been, you know, who's in prison, we kind of treat them like you don't have any rights, and we kind of look at them with shame. Even Channel 8 will jump in there and say, this guy's been convicted of this, even though he hasn't been convicted of it, and they never come back and correct their stories, which is really frustrating. But the idea is once somebody is considered guilty in our, in our, in our work, we heap on them a view of shame, and Paul was suffering this. He was viewed as some kind, he was viewed as just as bad as a child molester would be today. Because when you're behind bars, you're just guilty. But why? Notice what he says. That gospel for which I'm suffering bound would change the criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Here's what we learn from Paul is that there's a purpose for this. Suffering serves other people. I endure this for the sake of the elect, the people who responded to the gospel. They only responded because I made it possible for them to hear it in the first place. That they may obtain the salvation that's Christ Jesus and eternal glory. Paul knew this. If he would just quit preaching, his troubles would go away. Seriously, if he would just quit proclaiming the gospel that rescues people and frees people from sin, if he would do that, he would be free. Just don't preach it. It'd be so easy, wouldn't it? Just don't preach it and my troubles go away. But if I don't preach it, people are lost and will never find the gospel. And so if I have to suffer, so be it. And besides that, God told me to. What happens when you suffer unfairly because God told you to do something and you did it and you were treated unfairly? What should you do? Paul says, do it anyway. Remember me. See, here's the thing. When you live the Christian life, if you really live it in the world we live in, it's going to be a contrast. You live out a contrast to everything else. And so much in our world, while we're trying to say, be unique and be yourself, we're not really saying that. Be unique and be yourself like everybody else. And when you live a contrasting way, it clashes with this way, and it gets attention, but it's not the kind of attention most people want, but it's the kind of attention that the world needs to see to allow them to hear the gospel and to be able to respond to it. But if we quiet our witness, if we just, if we just silence the truth we believe and the way of life we're advocating, if we just quit doing that, our troubles go away and we blend right in and there's no trouble and there's no salvation. Remember Jesus. When you are having to face something uncomfortable, something stressful, remember Jesus. And try not to make an argument with Jesus in saying that what he's asking you to do is too much. Because when you're talking to Jesus, that's kind of hollow. 
remember when you're going through something and you're facing something because you're doing the right thing and trying to live the gospel. You remember Paul, your, your hero, and what he had to endure. When you read the words of Paul, the only reason you got them and the only reason they're able to save and mature us through the spirit who gave it to us is because he was willing to suffer for it. And then here's the third thing, the last thing, and it's remember this song. I want you to remember a song, but it's really your life. In, first, in 2 Timothy, this is where you enter the story. You, your autobiography is in this chapter. He's describing you. It's a poem. I think it's probably a song that they sang back in Ephesus. And so he picks out this song that they sing. We sing a song like this. The first verse goes something like this. Um, All of self, none of thee. And then second verse is something like, some of self and some of thee. Then you get to the third verse as you're maturing. And by the way, these verses in describing your life are years in the making, aren't they? You get to verse number three, and it's most of thee and some of me, something like that. And then the last one is all, none of self and all of thee. That's your life story, and, and we're singing it. You can identify where you are by which verse you're in that applies to you, and then you can go ahead and sing what you aspire to be. It's okay. It's okay if you sing a little bit of stuff that you haven't reached yet. We have plenty of songs, you've sung them this morning, that have some lines in them that you haven't achieved yet. That's okay. You're aspiring to it, and that's what that song is. Listen to the words of this song, verse number one that appears, chapter two, verse 11. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. This is not a physical death of martyrdom because he's writing to people who've done this. Those who have died with Christ in the waters of baptism are also going to live with him. You are going to live your life following in his footsteps. If we've died with him, you have been immersed in the waters of baptism. You have died to yourself. This language is straight from Romans 6. You put them together and you can't tell the difference. It is that baptism. Listen, when you become a Christian, we're going to celebrate with you. We're going to celebrate with you that you have chosen to enter the life of God. But listen very carefully. It is a death. You're dying to the things that used to entertain you. You're dying to the things that used to Live in your life and intrigue your mind. You're dying to those things and you're rising to a new life with Christ, right? That's verse number one. And, and if you've been baptized, you've already done verse number one. It applies to you. Verse number two. If we endure, we will also reign with him. This word endure encapsulates your entire Christian life. He's, he's saying here's the one word that describes your entire rest of your life from baptism to the day you die. You are to endure. That's the one word he uses. Now, in Scripture, you can look at all the reasons why you have to endure, right? You're going to have to endure because people, Matthew 10, some people of the world are going to hate you simply because you are a Christ person. You're going to be hated because of your faith, whether they know anything about you or not. You are going to endure persecution, Romans 12 says. Hebrews 10 says you're going to endure great sufferings in this life, including the taking of your property and possessions. James says you are going to endure temptation, standing with Christ when everything within you wants to choose something else. You're going to endure temptation. And finally, in 1 Peter, you are going to endure suffering despite doing good. But you know what? This is an option. That word if... 
If you really follow Jesus and live with him, you will have to endure. But if you choose, you can bypass it. But for those who choose to live it and endure for it, you will reign with Christ in this life and in the life to come. And that's what we're striving for. So for those of you who are Christians, you've been born again, you've been baptized, and then, and, and that's verse one. Verse two is if you're living with Christ right now despite challenges and oppositions uh, from different things, you're in verse number two. And then verse number three, it gets bad. Paul. It's, it's, it's the stormy, stormy verse. If we quit, he says, if we deny him, he'll deny us. This is a verse in the song because it's a legitimate option for you to choose. There are people in this religious world who will say, you cannot deny him. And that's not true. This verse won't allow you to believe that. If we deny him, after we've died to ourselves and lived for Christ, after we've endured, if we just say, no more, no more, I don't want to do this anymore, if we deny, Jesus will deny us too. And just to give clarification from this from Luke chapter 9, sorry, Luke chapter 12, this is Jesus, and in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says he's speaking to his disciples. These disciples who've already chosen to follow, he's named some of them apostles. These are people who are full-fledged following Jesus, and he says to them, I tell you, disciples, that would be you who are baptized believers, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. When it comes time in the judgment scene where all the angels are around and God's talking about your life, when God's about to say, well, you, all your goodness doesn't amount to a hill of beans, you're doomed, Jesus stands for you. That's your only chance, church. That is your only chance. In the day of judgment, the only way you're going to make it into eternal life with God is if Jesus stands up for you. And the way you do that is stand up for him now. But he goes on to say, But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. You need him to stand for you. God's about to pound that gavel. And you need him to stand and say, But he's, I'm his Savior. It's entrusted to me. But Jesus just stands there. He just sits there. He won't rise for you. You know why he won't? Because you sat for him here. This verse is a sad verse because... If you want to deny Jesus, you can. He'll let you walk away. There'll be people say you can't fall away. They're right, you can't fall away. But you can walk away. Romans 8's true. There's nothing that can separate you from God, right? Nothing. But you can. You can choose it. And that leads to verse number 4. The last one. If we are faithless, this is not as strong a term as denial. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. If you fall short, if you stumble, if you have a weak moment where you just don't stand for him and you falter and you fail, what happens then? Are you in verse 3? No, you're not in verse 3. You still have a faithful God who's always there to take you back, always there to, to, to catch you and take you back. If you return, you don't stay. No one stays in, in verse 4. No one stays here. 
They come here, you end up landing here in verse number four. You will make a mistake and you will plop down to verse number four. But listen, from there, you either jump to verse three by quitting or you jump back to verse two where you start enduring again. One of those two, but you don't stay down here. God wants you to know, regardless of what you do, he's always faithful, he's predictable. You know what you can do. So you serve a God. Let's take the prodigal son for a second. That prodigal son knew exactly what the father was like. He knew his father very well, and he was so sick of this father, so sick of the character and nature of God, that he wanted to go away. And so he went away into foreign country, and he squandered himself and his time and his money because he was tired of the nature of his father. But when it hit rock bottom, and when things get, and he came to his senses, what made him go back? The same character and nature of the father that drove him away motivated him to come back he knew what he'd get and so do you god's predictable he will be right there being faithful and when you make a march toward him and you get to his driveway he comes running that's the god we serve that's your life story in a song. And so I hear Paul as he's writing this. He might be actually humming this. And I hear Timothy when he's reading this actually humming this. And he's thinking, that's what I signed on for. I knew when I became a believer that this was my life story. So when you are facing some opposition and some challenge and some pressure because of the truths you believe and the way of life that you honor straight from God and you're not sure you can muster what it takes to endure, remember Jesus. That's why we gathered around the table again today. And next Sunday, we're going to do it again. Remember Jesus. The center of our gospel is suffering. Remember Paul. The only reason we have the truth is because of suffering people. And remember what you signed on for. Your baptism wasn't just to celebrate your salvation. It was to start living for God and model the same story that saved you. And it's going to include endurance. And since you signed on for it, let's muster what it takes to live out of it. This morning, I don't know what challenge you're going to face this week, but we've done our part. We have consulted, we've gone before a suffering Savior, but now a risen suffering Savior. And reminded each other that our suffering has a purpose and there's another side to it that we're going to be blessed because of. And we, we've, we've read the scriptures straight from the pen of Paul, inspired by the, by, by, by the Holy Spirit of God and, and, and through the suffering that he endured. And we've reminded each other of what we signed on for. When suffering comes, it is not unexpected. We knew this would happen. You've got what it takes to endure, and now I challenge you this week, whatever the opposition may be, whatever the challenge is, endure. And let's be a group of people who actually live our faith and believe it so much that even when we have to suffer for it, we endure because we want to live with him and reign with him. There's anyone who needs to respond this morning, if you, need to, if you need to respond in order to get strength for a challenge in your life, if you want to respond because you want to, you want to name the name of Jesus from your lips and experience that baptism that we've talked about, whatever is your need, please know, whatever we pray for, you'll have to endure to keep it. And whatever is your need this morning, make it known as we stand and as we sing.